Football is back and so is the Ringer NFL show. Coming at you five days a week with wall-to-wall coverage from recapping the Sunday games, giving a player perspective, deep dives, and previewing the coming slate. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer. Is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Let's roll, baby. It is a Tuesday afternoon edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. Johnson. Stremsky, we're right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I think many of you are probably wondering, J.J., what's with the, the special occasion? Why do we have the privilege of getting an earlier show on this particular day? And of course, by the way, I would do an earlier pod on a day where it's like 70 and fantastic and I'm going to be nowhere near the golf course. But Knicks played last night. Nets played last night. Basically a night of college basketball. And I said, screw it. Let's get the pod up. Let's have some fun. Let's throw in a different wrinkle. And away we go. So earlier pod, if I'm a little more off the wall, a little bit more off the beaten path, that's what you can attribute it to. A couple of things right out of the gate. Good win for the Knicks last night. I know Joel Embiid didn't play. I know Harris didn't play. You lose to Cleveland on Sunday night. You get smoked in the third quarter. You can't have it happen two nights in a row. I was so fearful of the fact that it was going to happen two nights in a row. Knicks had a 15-point lead. They're firing all all cylinders. Uh, Randall, Barrett, they're hitting threes. All of a sudden, Philadelphia can't miss in the third quarter. And I'm saying, geez, here we go again. And it's the sort of game on Monday night that you can't lose. If you're going to be one of those top five, top six playoff teams, you got to stop the bleeding. I was so relieved to see the Knicks fourth quarter of this game basically say enough is enough. And we were waiting for like that signature Julius Randle game so far this year. He gave it to you. That was what I expect to see out of Julius Randle from here on out. Maybe not against the top flight teams, but he could be a guy that could go and win you a game. 
and take over a game. He was the best player on the court in the fourth quarter. He hit every big shot known to man. And I know a lot of people are freaking out early about the Knickerbockers' defense taking a step back. It's fair. Make no mistake. They are not as good a defensive team. Adding Evan Fournier, adding Kemba Walker, losing a couple of guys that they did from last year's team. They're not as good defensively. But it's a necessary evil. What, what were the Knicks supposed to just run it back with the same group? Did, did you see that first-round series against the Atlanta Hawks? Did you understand how limited they were from a shooting standpoint, from being able to put the ball in the bucket, that sort of deal? You needed the infusion of offense. And my feeling with the team taking a little bit of a step back defensively is simply this. They are dynamic enough offensively where it's going to make up for it more so than they were a year ago. And if you play for Tom Thibodeau, you got to give some sort of effort on defense. I'm not saying that you're going to turn out to be Scottie Pippen, okay? I'm not saying they're going to turn out to be Sean Marion defensively, but you got to give a crap if you're playing for Tibbs on that side of the ball. So I do think the Knicks will get a little bit better defensively by the time we hit the end of the year. And I've noticed this early on. They have a tough loss. They bounce right back. It's a good, good sign as they move forward here throughout this season. And, you know, a couple of early season NBA thoughts, very, very early. And one kind of involves the Nets from last night. I mean, I was bouncing back and forth. I had like 10 zillion things going on between after the Nick game, we did a green room. I got Monday Night Football. Well, I think the refs just missed another call in the Bears-Steelers game. I mean, was that the worst officiated game that you guys have seen all year? I mean, holy moly. And listen, the Bears, I, I don't want to hear, oh, that's the reason you lost. Field scores you a touchdown. You have a lead with a minute to go. Can your defense go get a stop against old man Ben Roethlisberger? I mean, they let him basically go right down the field, get in a field goal range, and go and win the game. Don't make that the determining factor in the why you lost, but, I mean, the officiating. That was as bad an officiating performance as I have seen all year. That was as bad as it gets. But I had the net game on my second TV, and early season NBA thoughts, I'm looking really good with my Warriors overpick. Couldn't be more confident when it comes to that one. The Bulls under, I might be in a little bit of trouble. Might be in a little bit of trouble. I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit for the Warriors because I think they're going to win a boatload of games. I think they're super dangerous. I think they're super good. Uh, but, you know, but our guy Goff courtside. I mean, you kidding me? He's getting a shout out from Adam Mean. Our guy Goff is living large. Happy birthday, by the way. Brooklyn ends up falling to Chicago. And Chicago's good. Listen, the Nets have a team that everybody is going to be gunning for. You see the Nets, that's a marquee game. You're going to get teams' best efforts. So if you're not at your best, you're going to get beat. I still think Brooklyn's in a pretty good spot from what we've seen in the early going. And listen, you should be when you have Kevin Durant on your team. Even though you haven't gotten vintage James Harden, when you have these guys on your team, you should be, you know, a top the Eastern Conference or close to it. Knicks Bucks on Wednesday. I'm fired up for that. We'll see if Milwaukee has an answer for what happened the other day. Good start to the NBA season. Listen, considering what we have to deal with from a football standpoint, having the idea of two fun, competitive, entertaining, 
NBA teams, it's fun. It makes my life a heck of a lot easier. And I need it. After dealing with the two New York football locals, and if the Jets are smart, they're playing Mike White on Sunday. If he could play, play Mike White on Sunday. Give Wilson another week. Let Mike White go and stink up the joint, and then you yank him out of that starter spot. I want to see White on Sunday. I do not want to see Zach Wilson. White throws three picks. They lose by 20 points. Soft landing spot against the Dolphins. Don't bring back Wilson this week. My friendly free advice to the New York Jets. Bad football? I think we're going to have a good basketball season. I'm going to get a little wacky here on this pod today. So I told Sarita I was going to do this yesterday. And it just dawned on me. We have not done this in quite a while. And ask me anything. That's right. Anything goes. So in addition to Trivia Tuesday, we got a little ask me anything we're thrown into the equation. And I'm so fired up. Dan O'Neill wrote a great book on the Big East. I'm thrilled that college basketball is back. Listen, my Dolphin season is completely down the toilet. I need a big year out of the Qs. And that got me in the mood, reading her book, uh, the Big East book, which is out. It's going to do very, very well. Dan is going to join us in a little bit. And we're also bringing out the heavy hitters. You know it's a Big Tuesday podcast when the great Kevin Clark graces us with his presence. So Casey and Dan O'Neill, ask me anything, Trivia Tuesday, and you guys are going to get a pick. Oh, baby. On that thrilling, riveting Thursday night football game that will be for all of America to witness. The Ravens and the Dolphins. My apologies, America. You have to watch my football theme for three and a half hours. Hey, what's fair is fair. I had to sit through Dolphins, Texans. I watched every play and every snap of that game. So now you guys can come into my world, and it's not a pleasant one, at least in this case. My world can be rather pleasant in many other ways. Not particularly pleasant when it comes to my football team. All right, loaded show. Good to be rocking and rolling when the sun is out. The lighting looks great. My skin looks great. I feel great. I'm energized with Starbucks, and Kevin Clark is up next. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like... Can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. So with the NFL season basically being halfway done and I'm trying to figure out who's who and what's what, I think it's the perfect time to welcome in my good pal. And I think, actually, I don't think, I know he's making his New York, New York debut, slow news day, NFL ringer. I mean, the guy is a megastar. Kevin Clark, what's up, buddy? Uh, I'm just trying to keep up with you, JJ. Uh, highly debatable. Highly debatable. I mean, listen, you've been hanging with the heavy hitters these last couple of months. Eli Manning, Jim Nance. What has been the highlight so far of Slow News Day for 2021? So for me, okay, so there's, you and I are sports media dorks. We grew up just trying, this is all we wanted to do, right? I wanted to be a writer um, and I wanted to just be kind of in awe of sports media for my entire life. And I still am. To get Bob Costas on, was next level 
Um, you like would geek down by that. You know, I forgot about Costas. You would geek yeah. down by Costas. That's I mean, he was point. on my list. We we have the same. Our, our booker is amazing. Best booker in the country. Allison, eighteen, but uh, un- unbelievable. One of the all time greats, as I like to say. But we made we made a list at the beginning of the year, and we were just like, who do we want on? And Costas to me was at the top of it because listen, we've had a lot of NFL players, current and former, pretty much everybody, everybody except probably Mahomes. Um, we've actually gotten on from from the current NFL that we really wanted. We got Baker, Lamar, those guys. Um, but I was just like, dude, I just kind of for my own. Like happiness, just want to get some bucket list guys that I grew up idolizing. And Costas came on and he was amazing. Um, and that to me, I would put Ed Reed in that bucket too, where you're just like, okay, if you told 15 year old Kevin Clark he's going to be talking to Ed Reed or Bob Costas or any of these guys, that's where I'd actually freak out uh, more than, say, Joe Montana, who was a little bit. Well, isn't it cool time. though how you can get like geeked out still by this shit? Yeah. Like, I realize it. There are certain interviews that I do, like when I had Jeff Van Gundy on. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a diehard Nick guy. I love the 90s Knicks. And I'm just, like, shooting the breeze with Van Gundy for, like, 20, 25 minutes. I finished up. I was like, that was that was really fucking cool. You know, like, when that, like, hits you, like, there are certain interviews that will do that, bro. And it's amazing. Well, it also it kicks back in where you're just like, all right, Costas is there. You freak out a little bit. And then you're like, all right, I'm a pro. I'm good. I got to get in the zone. And- exactly. But then, like, within the confines of the 30 minutes, it'll hit you. Like, dude, the guy talking right now is was, like, my hero growing up. Like that, that, that kind of floats in and out of the conversation into your brain. You're just like, wow, dude, like this is a normal conversation, but it's with Bob freaking Costas. Did you do any sort of deep dive for Nance as far as the golf rounds with yeah. Mahomes, Allen? So, so you, you were able to find this uh, information, what, on the interweb, basically? No, 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 no. I heard about it. Josh Allen told oh, me so about it. Oh, so you heard it You heard <laughs> it through Josh Allen. Okay. So Josh oh, no. Allen... Let me tell you something, JJ. You know this because we we are on the same wavelength here. You get two guys over 30 or over 25 in NFL quarterbacks cases uh, just sitting around for more than 10 minutes. About 25% of that talk to me about golf, okay? And so I said to Josh Allen, and we sat down for our our piece. I wrote a piece about him in August. And I was just like, how was your summer, bro? And he was like, uh, it was great. And then within 10 seconds, he was like, you know, I was out of Cyprus with Jim Nance. I was playing golf here, there, there, there. He didn't even know I was a golfer, but that's just how the conversation goes. Um, and so he told me the story about how um, he played with Nance and that he that Nance had a, whole, a story for every hole and got him a book, The Match by um, uh, Mark, uh, Mark Frost, a really good book about that, that golf course. Um, and and then someone else, I had mentioned that to somebody else in the organization, and they were like, dude, I have I've seen a video of Josh Allen playing at Pebble or Cypress, and Jim Nance is doing the narration. He's going, All right, Josh Allen on four. He's really been driving the ball well today. Let's see how he goes. He's doing the full Nance. And then I asked around. And someone was like, oh, I've seen that video for Mahomes, too. He do, does it for everybody. And doesn't just do it for quarterbacks. He does it for every human being. Like, if you play golf with Jim Nance, he will get his phone out or your phone out, and he will do full Jim Nance play-by-play of your golf for one hole, and then he will send it to you. It is uh, how, how good is that party trick, JJ? JJ? I mean, that is fantastic. And the next time we play golf, do you want me to return a favor? I don't think my, uh, my play-by-play and my uh, booming voice is going to be nearly as soothing as what you would get with Jim Nance. Just Why saying. don't we just get Nance out with us? Why don't we just what? cut out the middle you're, you're the guy with the hookup. I mean, you get Nance, I get Francesca, and away we go. <laughs> that's that's a foursome right there. That is that is that is a hell of a foursome. Uh speaking of Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, I'm glad you yeah. brought them up. 
I thought they were the best team in the league, in the AFC at least. Yeah. They have this dud of a performance against Jacksonville. Terrible. They score six points. They can't run the ball. Allen looks like his rookie year. The week prior, they struggled with my pathetic team, where they did not play good football for three quarters, turned it on in the fourth quarter. Are you willing to still say, Kevin Clark, the Buffalo Bills are still the best team in the AFC? Or are you having serious, serious reservations on that? No, and, and I also think that we're starting to disrespect the Tennessee Titans. Because the Tennessee Titans keep beating really good teams, and we keep saying, oh, I don't know about the Titans. At some point, like if a team tries to tell you who they are, believe them, right? And this is a team that is not making excuses for the end of Derrick Henry. And I saw the first take clip the other day where, Derek, where, where, where they were just sitting around a couple weeks ago saying the Titans season is over, all that stuff. Um, I don't think it was because first of all, I think that you're kind of, if you're saying that you're kind of misunderstanding why teams win and lose football games, which is 99% of the time, the passing game, Derrick Henry is so important. He's the, the single most important running back in football, but I still think you can win without him. So for me with the bills, I, I was, I'm honestly hitting the panic button right now for the bills because, and I know, listen, I am, I'm not an overreaction guy, but what I am saying is that when you lose to a urban Meyer led team that doesn't want to be there. That clearly has no clue on how to win football games. Well, I'm talking about Urban Meyer here specifically. Um, if you lose to that team and you look as bad as you did and you let Josh Allen, the linebacker, have a career game against you, something is fundamentally wrong. Okay, you can't go out there and and lose games like that. You, I, I just, I, I don't know. There's no like eloquent way to put that. That's that's an embarrassing thing to do. Um, I think Josh Allen. There are some 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 built-in excuses here. Uh, missing two linemen, John Feliciano, um, you know, C Cody Ford had to play. He didn't have a ton of help, but that shouldn't matter. Like that should not matter that the, you, you should be able to win this game. If you and I were the receivers on the bills and Josh Allen was the quarterback, that, that that's just sort of how this works. And so I'm, I'm extremely worried about the bills, but I think in their defense, who's good in the AFC right now, because that's what I'm trying to figure out. It's the impossible. Ravens. I the like Ravens Baltimore, have... but they never went into playoffs with Lamar. Tennessee doesn't have Henry. Uh, the Chargers couldn't stop me or you running the football. And then and the Chiefs, I mean, if the Chiefs were going up against Darren Rodgers on Sunday, Casey, they would have lost that game by 20 points. By 20 points. By 20 points. Um, okay, so I think that it's interesting to me because the Ravens, I think, are the biggest threat. And if you were to handicap right now, JJ, and say, all right, there's a team that's going to go on a run, and in a month we're going to be saying, okay, this AFC race is clear. I would pick the Ravens. But they still have flaws. Their defense is probably not as good as it normally is, I think, because the Ravens, Ravens, you know, their their culture and sort of their history, we kind of say, okay, Ravens defense, don't have to worry about them. It's not, you know, the, the, it's not exactly uh, an elite unit. But what's carrying them right now is Lamar Jackson hitting the intermediate throws, doing all of the things that everybody said Lamar couldn't do. Guess what Lamar Jackson is doing throughout the course of his career? He's getting better, okay? And we keep arguing about Lamar Jackson, and we say, oh, this skill set, he's, he's missing this, he's missing that. And then he just gets better every single year. And I kind of think there's not enough recognition of that, the fact that he's just getting better at the things he needs to get better at every single offseason. Uh, he's a hard worker. I mean, I, th I think Trent Dilfer was talking about this on, on Rosillo either last week or a couple weeks ago. But I, I just think that there's there's probably not enough recognition for how much he's worked at his craft and the things that were quote unquote question marks for him, either coming into the league or coming into the season. Uh, those things don't, those things are, are getting solved in front of our eyes. He's played great. He's thrown the football a lot better, but you know, this 
The question for Jackson is always going to be, are you going to be able to perform in the postseason? And that's what I keep going back to with Lamar. Yes, he's getting better. Yes, he's having a terrific regular season. But I saw him last year throw a critical pick six against Buffalo. He's had dreadful, dreadful playoff games. I almost feel like, Casey, until he gets that sort of monkey off the back, that's going to be mm-hmm. something that's in many ways kind of haunting Lamar Jackson. I agree with that, but I think that the – listen, you know this. How many guys were considered chokers until they weren't, right? It's true. It's true. John Elway, John Elway was Mr. Choker until he won two Super Bowls at the end of his career, okay? Roger Clemens was Mr. Choker for a long time, and then he became Mr. Mr. World Series there for a little bit. And then he became something Mr. Mr. Something else. Brian McNamee, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, he's no longer known for, for any of his on-field exploits. But there are so many times. Peyton Manning is another one. The conversation around Peyton Manning was insane in the mid-2000s. It was he can never win the play, win in the playoffs. Belichick owns him. Which, by the way, Belichick did own him for, for long stretches of time. But he was still one of the best quarterbacks in the history of football. And so I have a hard time. If someone's flaw is they can't win in the playoffs, to me, that's not much of a flaw. To me, that's not much of a flaw because of the conversation around so many of these guys who eventually turn the corner and we realized it was something else. So the fact that Lamar is now one of the best passers, you know, kind of beating those zones, intermediate throws, um, you know, him, Kyler Murray, there's a group of those guys who are just unbelievable right now and not only being mobile, but hitting those sort of 15 to 20 yard passes. That to me makes them extremely dangerous in January. Okay. New England. Are we buying that they're a legit threat in the AFC or are they taking advantage of some terrible quarterback plays, specifically Carolina and a couple of games with the New York Jets? I think this week against Cleveland is a telling, telling game for where the Patriots are at in 2021. Fair? Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, the, the Browns are an emerging defense. They're a benchmark. They're probably going to be a Five or six seasons. These are similar in, in teams, in my opinion. Yes. Very yes. similar teams. This will be yes. a this will be a rock fight. Like bet the under in this game, Devin Clark. This is an other okay. game with the Browns and the Patriots. I agree. But this is kind of what you're this is what we expect, right? So the Patriots are having the season that I think we probably should have expected in this regard, which is the AFC is a mess, as we said, and having Bill Belichick. And putting these guys in a position to succeed, situational football, it's amazing to me. I was talking about this the other day. I don't know if you saw this, but basically there are more one-score games, more fourth-quarter games than any time in the history of football, basically. Okay, And when that happens, it's all situational football. It's all situational football. It's how, how can you get to the line to run a play with 42 seconds left? Um, it's what are we going to do on fourth and, and, and four from, from the 40-yard line with, with a minute and two left? That kind of stuff. And who's the best situational coach of all time? Bill freaking Belichick. He's the only one who coaches this stuff. I remember Rodney Harrison telling me a couple of years ago when he went from San Diego to New England and they're doing actual situational football and they're simulating events and they're simulating end of game and all of this stuff. He was like, every. I, not only was my mind blown, but anyone who'd never been there, their mind was blown because everybody else in the NFL would just sit there and say, okay, we'll just run this play, run this, run this play. And Belichick's basically simulating a game and it's different. He is the best situational coach of all time. So if you're getting into a league now, and it looks like we are, where everybody's bunched up, Belichick is an advantage. And that's why they're going to make the playoffs. Um, Mac Jones has gotten better every single week. They understand what that offense is going to be. It's a lot of 8 to 10-yard throws. Uh, Mac Jones has looked really, really good. I think that unlike our boss, Bill Simmons, I actually have an appreciation for what Josh McDaniels has done this year. Um, we love you, Billy. But I, I just think that there's... Um, 
there's a lot here that points to the Patriots being A, a playoff team, but B, a team that is probably in the mix to win a playoff game they shouldn't in January. You know what I've noticed more and more, Casey, when I bet these games? And I felt it Sunday because I was on the Eagles against the L.A. Chargers. I thought the line stunk. The fact that L.A. went from like a two-point favorite to pick them. I was all over Philly. Like, I play numbers. That's just how I roll. That's what I do. But I bring this up because when I go against an aggressive coach like Brandon Staley, who's going for it early in the game, even though it didn't work out, it scares the crap out of me. And sure enough, end of that game, instead of kicking a 46-yard field goal, he said, I'm going to get a yard. I'm going to dictate the terms of this game. I'm going to have the ball in my hands last. And the worst thing that's going to happen to my team is that we're going to go to overtime and somebody's going to miss a field goal. Harbaugh, same sort of deal. Fourth and one going for it. Like, these coaches that have this sort of uber-aggressive mentality, I want no part of going against them. And when I see the conservative coaching that's going on, yeah. the kicking, when you're up three and you're kicking a field goal to go up six, it, it's almost a death sentence in many ways, Kevin. I say it all the it's time. It's Kicking is for losers. It's ridiculous. And the fact that Sean McVay is acting so cowardly in some of these spots is actually I'm shocked. You know what? A lot of yeah. people who are listening to this are probably stunned if they don't like really pay close attention because yeah. McVay is like so cool. He's new age. His teams are really good. He kicks way too many field goals, dude. Way too many cowardly coaching decisions. Yeah. So I actually was talking to Dan Campbell. And and listen, Dan Campbell's losing games right now, but he, he knows football. Okay. Uh, I was talking to Dan Campbell in August about this. And he said that he was Mr. Conservative. And that makes sense, right? You're Mr. You know, went to Texas A&M. Football guy, basically. Yeah, football Big guy. 12, three yards in a cloud of dust type stuff. Uh, you know, big parcels, tight end. And he said that, He's working for Sean Payton. And Payton would go for it on fourth down. And he would look at the other sideline and they'd be petrified. They'd be petrified. And he's saying, wait a second. Why am I not doing that all the time? And that's why he's actually been a little more aggressive this year. He said that's his coaching philosophy. Is because when Payton would go for it, he would look at the other sideline and he would go, oh my God, they, they are scared to death of what Sean Payton is doing. And that's what I want to inflict on the other sideline. Now, he said the other part of that, and this is what I think is interesting. The other part of that is when it's fourth and one, Peyton wasn't just going for a fullback dive. He could go deep on you. He could run a 15-yard out, whatever it is. He's going to run his normal playbook, and he's going to put so much pressure on you. The ability to put pressure on a defense on fourth down is really, really, really important. It changes the calculus on how you're calling on first and second down. Um, there's just so much to go with it. And I think that's amazing to me because I wrote a piece about this a couple of years ago uh, about the 2009 Colts Patriots game where Belichick went for it on fourth down with Kevin Falk didn't get it uh, was really short completed the pass but it didn't get across uh, the marker to, to get a first down and that really started the conversation and I don't think when I talk to people around the league there are people in this league who didn't even consider the idea of going for it on fourth down when you didn't have to until that conversation started the math became ma- <clears throat> the math became mainstream quite frankly like Sports Center all of a sudden's getting getting these analytics guys on this is 2009 nobody was talking about this stuff. And so the conversation changing in the last 12 years from I've never even thought about this to this is what you do. And analytics guys are in the booth now with, with probably more than half the teams where they're, they're telling the coach the chart and all that stuff. I love that. And I think that Staley, obviously, he's got some growing to do in the job. He struggled a little bit the last couple of weeks. But I think he's got the right idea as far as playing the odds, playing the metrics. Stefanski's in the same boat. We saw that a couple of weeks ago with the Browns and the Chargers. Uh, this is, I, I, I think this is a generation of coaches who get it. 
And I think eventually Sean McVay, who's an unbelievable head coach, will get it too. Locally, we have not had much to feel good about with our <laughs> beloved New York football I've, teams, I've, even I've though noticed. I don't root for either. Um, you're a guy who's covering all these teams. You're around yeah. all these teams. I'm going to give you an opportunity to buy stock in either the New York Jets or the New York Giants for the next three years. Who are you buying stock in, my friend? Okay. So you're probably, I, I don't know who you would pick, right? But I'm very I'm torn, with, quite frankly. Okay. Very, I, very I, torn. I, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I'm going to go with the Jets. I'm going to go with the Jets. And here's why. So I'm worried about the Giants' plan here going forward. And what I mean by that is if they fire Gettleman, and I don't see any reason not to fire Gettleman. I didn't see any reason to bring Gettleman back, by the way. But I also don't see any reason to, to, to uh, keep Gettleman next year. Um, what do they do? Do they hire a GM who gets along with Joe Judge, another New England guy? Do they kind of let Joe Judge coach another year with another GM he doesn't know and try to figure it out next year? Um, do they give Joe Judge more power or do they fire Joe Judge? I don't know. If they fire Joe Judge, I'm actually okay with the plan, but I just don't think Daniel Jones is the guy, right? But you start getting into those shotgun marriages and you start pairing people up and you say, okay, this guy... Is this GM is on one one track? This coach is on another. That's where I think you get pretty uh, the the waters get pretty muddied. I think, um, and so I don't. I aside from the quarterbacks thing, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, I just don't. I think that that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, like they have their they have their track. We know what it is. They're going forward. I think um, the Jets have a better coaching staff. I think that eventually, I mean, you saw this with Mike White and Josh Johnson the last couple of weeks. Um, they can generate offense. I it's don't amazing, think too, Jones because, be Casey, before we saw Mike White and Johnson, yeah. the offense looked completely inept to the point where people I, were wondering about LaFleur, the offensive coordinator. Last two weeks, I think he has shown he knows what he's doing. He can Mike be confident. White's, Mike White saved the first job. Going into the Sunday of the Mike White game against the Bengals, J.J., <laughs> the Jets were averaging in the first half of games three points and 86 yards. That's high school stuff. That's high school stuff. That's high school stuff. Now, Mike White was throwing four yards down the field. Okay, this is not sustainable. But what's not a fluke, I was on a show last week. They said it was the Mike White thing a fluke. That wasn't a fluke. I'm sorry. Let me, take, let me separate the two things. Mike White getting 400 yards was a fluke. But the Jets generating offense with anybody, that part's not a fluke. Then that, that, that kind of rests at the feet of Zach Wilson. And we need to figure out why Zach Wilson's backups now, if you look at the sample size, are better in basically every metric, every metric across the board. Why Josh Johnson and Mike White have combined to throw more touchdowns than Zach Wilson in very limited action. Um, I mean, I, I just think it's, it's there's huge questions. But I also don't think Daniel Jones is the answer. I think actually the fact that Michael Fur can generate offense uh, with anybody is more encouraging to me. Jason Garrett is not an NFL coordinator. Brutal. I was looking at some of the target stuff the other day. Daniel Jones is not even so he was fifteen to twenty-one for one hundred and ten yards against Vegas. Okay, with, with Tony and Galladay back in the mix. Tony Impossible. got one one target. Tony got one target. Galladay got two targets. What are we doing? Why did you build this team this way? If you weren't, why would you use a first round pick on Kadarius Tony? What, what? Why? Why? The Jaguars wanted him so badly they wanted to make a new Percy Harvin. Just trade, trade back if you weren't going to use him. If you, if Jason Garrett had no confidence in this kind of guy, 
it, it's just, it's mind-boggling. I'm not, obviously, Tony's very good. I wouldn't do that. I'm just saying, I'm using hyperbole to say, if Jason Garrett's not going to use these guys, you might as well get value for him, okay? And I think they need a new play caller. Um, you know, the defense was, was pretty good. Xavier McKinney obviously had those two interceptions, including the pick six. Uh, Quincy Roche, Hurricane, Miami Hurricane, um, had the strip sack. Um, they're not a lost cause, but I think there's so many structural problems. And then once Gettleman gets fired, I just don't know where any of this goes. So I'm going to take the Jets because I like the coaching staff. I like the GM more. I know who the GM is. Joe Douglas is winning trades. He's not necessarily winning on the draft side. But I, I just kind of see them trending in a little better direction. It's not, listen, neither of these teams are going to make the playoffs in the next two years. Okay. And every rebuild to me should take two to three years. This stuff, this, I, I have great respect for Sashi Brown and the Browns uh, and what they did a few years ago. But there's no such thing in the NFL as a five-year rebuild. Rookie contracts are only four years long. Uh, guys get hurt. Their peaks are only three years long. So for me, I think the upper limit of a rebuild is three years. I think the Jets have a chance to make the playoffs in year three. I think the Giants, with where they are in the cycle, with Gettleman getting fired, uh, with maybe going back to the draft, uh, if Daniel Jones doesn't work out, that to me, that to me makes it a little less clear. Speaking of rebuilds, what in God's name happened to my football team? What happened? They're the biggest flop and biggest disappointment in the league at two and seven this year. And I, I think the quarterback, listen, he's brittle. He can't stay on the field. He's got to take heat for that. The offensive line that they've put in front of him is an embarrassment. What has happened to the Dolphin defense? What has happened to Brian Flores? Clark, it's killed my fall, bro. It, I'm devastated. It is like a gut punch thinking about the Dolphins. It makes me sad. Right. Really okay. makes me sad. I'm going to tell you what happened. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. They did everything right. They accumulated draft capital, which you should do. I mean, look if you look at the Browns right now, a guy like Denzel Ward was their second top five pick in one year because of the draft capital that they were able to accumulate, right? Um, they had picks one and four that year. Uh, you look at some of these teams that got three or four first-round picks in two years and were able to build. The Eagles next year will have three first-round picks. They did all that right. And listen, I actually think I was actually just talking to an executive about this on Monday. And the disappointing thing for me is that when all those draft picks, they didn't get anybody as good as Laramie Tunsil or, or Minka Fitzpatrick. But we'll put that aside for a second. The guys that traded away. Put that aside for a second. They did everything right. And then they did the one thing that you can't do and you can't account for and you can't process. They picked the wrong players. Sorry. Like, that's it. They picked the wrong players with the draft picks. And these guys, some of these guys just can't play. Tua can't play. Um, the offensive line just is not is not reflective of the resources put there. You look at the Chiefs' offensive line. The Chiefs' offensive line is not perfect, but they hit on their two draft picks, the two rookies who were starting for them. They hit, and everybody knew they hit from August. And with the Dolphins, for me, I've I've loved their plan. I love what they were doing. I thought this was the best way for them to get back to the top, but. I don't see any top-end talent on this team. Who's the best player on the Dolphins right now outside of Mike Gesicki, I guess you could say? Xavier Howard? Yeah, Xavier Howard, right. Who, who was, was, was a part of the was a last regime. Right. So you can't even take credit for the last three years. He was, a he was already there. Xavier Howard and Mike Gesicki were both Gase guys. And so the best player that they've brought in, I mean, Byron Jones obviously is good, but he was a free agent. I don't know. I don't know who their best who their best draft pick has been when that whole thing was getting drafted. 
And I think Waddle will be a good player, but you look at what Chase is doing and you look at what Pitts is doing and the offense is in clear need of a legit, like, bona fide superstar. I think Waddle's a good player. I I don't think he's as good as those guys. Like, if you could do it over again, you take a Pitts or you take a Chase. And they also traded, they traded, they could have had so much more. When they made that trade for three, they could have had so much more um, if they hadn't gone up to get Waddle. If you take a receiver with the sixth pick of the draft, like Waddle, the reason you do that is because you think he's going to unlock everything in your offense, and it hasn't happened. And I don't know what you do. I, I don't know what you do. I I, I don't. I, I just. I, Are they going to clean? You think they're cleaning house down there? <sighs> they love Flores. Now Flores hasn't been great this year. He has not been great this year. Got to own it. I don't know what you do because you're you're in the middle of the teardown and the rebuild, right? One of the problems to me with the process with the Sixers, right, is that they fired Henke in the middle of it. And I understand why you would do that if you were just getting antsy about the timetable and, and competitive reasons or whatever. But also, you just give somebody else the keys to a team where you don't have the vision of, of, of the last guy and things get very disjointed from there. And especially if somebody has like a win-now philosophy or is more of a football guy or whatever, I think you bring Chris Greer and Flores back for one more year. I think you bring him back for one more year. I don't think Steve Ross has a ton of patience for this. I wouldn't be surprised if, if one or both of them got fired, but I would bring them back for one more year. I, the quarterback thing is a disaster. And I think that, by the way, this is, this is a good example of what happens when you get the quarterback wrong. Because if they had Justin Herbert, we wouldn't be talking about any of this stuff. JJ. They'd be playing We'd be talking about. They'd be playing well, Not better. only would they be playing And better, I wanted been... Tua, too, full disclosure. We, we... I wanted him. And see, this is where I, I think he could play, personally. I don't think he could be as good as Herbert. I would actually like to see what he'd look like in a competent offense with some skilled players around him that are actually on the field and a line that could play a little bit. I think he could be a solid quarterback in the league car. I do. Like what? Like who? What? Like, see, that's what the is problem. the ceiling? What top, is the ceiling? Top 13 quarterback yeah. in the league? Top 13? Yeah. yeah. But you don't do you don't do this full rebuild for no superstars and a top thirteen quarterback. Totally, that, fair. that doesn't get you anywhere. The whole point of this thing, and this is what this is the whole process, right? The whole point is to get a bunch of draft capital and build up and get there, and reach reach the Chiefs level, reach the Ravens level, reach the Bucks level. And I don't see a path for that. And that's why this whole thing, even though they did everything right process wise, that's why this whole thing isn't going to work because there's no path to that. There's no path to a high-ceiling team, and that's the problem. And when I said Tua can't play, I didn't mean he's going to be out of the league in two years. I just mean he's not a top-10 superstar guy who's going to win even a playoff game. And be a transcendent quarterback, which a lot of people thought he was going to be coming out of college. He's not going to solve any of the problems, and that's the problem. So they've got problems, and he's not going to solve any of them. He can help, and he can be a vessel, and he he can move the offense along or whatever, but a great quarterback a Justin Herbert, a Joe Burrow, solves problems that you have. Patrick Mahomes is, is the best example of this than, any, than anybody in, in football, is that there are actual, I mean, look at how much he's just put a deodorant over the Chiefs defense for the last three years and made them in the Super Bowl. And the Bills have come due this year, and it's not as good. But that's what you, Aaron Rodgers, another example. You solve you, you 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 the reason you pay these guys thirty million dollars or forty million dollars is because they create thirty to forty million dollars of value, and Tua doesn't do that, and I don't see a path for him to do that. 
Final one. Los Angeles, middle of February. I don't know what your preseason Super Bowl pick was, but I'm giving you an audible. I don't know what it was. I don't care what it was. It was Packers Ooh. Chiefs. Packers. Interesting. Yeah. You can't Packers, feel good about Packers the Chiefs. Winning. I think I had um, Browns and Rams, and I had the Rams winning. I'm sticking with the Rams, even after their dud of the Sunday night game. I'm sticking with the Rams. I had, and I'm not I had getting st- off the Browns. Screw it. I, I don't like audibles. Audibles are I had no Stafford. Fun. I had Stafford MVP, which that train is, has left the station. As yeah, Sunday. that's over. After Sunday night, you could say goodbye to that. I was day. feeling okay about it for a couple weeks there. You needed a big November. If you would have had a solid game, even in a loss last week, you could have lived yeah. with it. When you have a bad primetime game and everybody sees it, dude, like those narratives for those like end of year storylines are killed in primetime games. All right. So Super Bowl, I'm still going to go with the Packers. Okay. Um, I mean, I think you saw the value of Aaron Rodgers there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, if I were the Green Bay Packers, I might be rethinking uh, a little kumbaya maybe in the offseason. I don't know if yeah. you're going to be able to get that, but I'd be thinking about that. Okay, so I'm still going to go with the Packers. In the AFC, I'm going to go with the Ravens. Ravens, Packers, Super Bowl. That'd be fun. Yeah. I'd sign for yeah. that. I mean, I'm, I gotta, I'm hoping the Rams are there, but that's okay. I, I have to tell you, I still think I was talking to a friend about this yesterday. I'm not going to out the friend because they agreed with me. And I, wanna, I don't want their take out there. Uh, I still think the Chiefs win a playoff game, by the way. I don't think that's outrageous because they could still win their division. Now, they have... This is one of those games Sunday they got to get because they're playing Vegas. Vegas has so much crap going on. They lost to the Giants on Sunday. Like, if the Chiefs are going to get right, you got to start winning games in the division, and I think they got to host a playoff game. Like, if you tell me Kansas City is going to Buffalo or they're going to Baltimore, I do not like their chances. Yeah, I mean, one of those teams is going to get the bye, and then the Chiefs will either have the division or they'll have a seven seed against. I, I, I don't know. I think there's a... I think Buffalo would be a tough sell. I think Baltimore would be a tough sell. But if if they're playing, what like, about Tennessee? You you give them a chance against Tennessee without Henry? I, yeah, yeah, I do. Even though they I got do. smoked by the Titans about a month ago, I I know. I think they're going to get. Listen, they're not going to become a Super Bowl contender as the season goes on. But I do think they'll become better. And I do think that Patrick Mahomes will get more comfortable. This whole thing about he struggles against two high safeties or whatever—it's—it's it's nonsense. It's nonsense. Look at the numbers over the first three years of his career. He saw more too high safeties last year than anything else. And so I don't, I think he's going to get better at a accuracy. He's just missing throws right now. Like everyone just keeps trying to make it some scheme thing or some adjustment thing. He's just missing throws. And I think he's going to miss less and less throws or they'll adjust the offense to where it's a little more um, conducive to him not being able to hit the home runs all the time. That's fine. But it's going to get better than this. And that's why I think they're better in January than they are in November. I'm invested in them to win the AFC West, by the way. I got it last Sunday, plus one ninety five. You think I got a shot there? I think you do. I do. I, it's it's funny how uh, the, the odds aren't even that great. Like well, Vegas, Vegas honestly, is not. It was, it was yeah. before the Sunday games. I was doing our Spotify green room. I saw these bets for the division, and I said, "Screw it! Am I going to get a better number than Kansas City? Basically, right. two to one. I think the Chargers were plus one sixty. KC was plus one eighty five, one ninety, and the Raiders. I think were like plus two hundred. Yeah. No, that, and that now tracks. Denver, this was before Denver beat Dallas. So Denver was like, what I really should have done is taken a, a long shot with Denver. And good old Vic Fangio, baby. <laughs> AFC's a mess right now, man. I, would, I wouldn't put any money on any of that. But that's why we have you on. When things are a mess, this is when we need you. So thanks for a couple of minutes. Don't be a stranger. And uh, 
I'm going to be down in Florida in December if you want to join me on the golf course. You want to work remote Where? for a week. Where are you going to be? Uh, I'll be hanging around Miami, Fort Lauderdale. I'll be working. Uh, the pod, the show must go on, but I'm going to take a little uh, winter okay. siesta, if you know what I mean. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in the mix. I'll just say that. I'll leave it at that. I'm in the mix. I like the sound of that, buddy. I like the sound thanks, of that. Thanks, buddy. That's Kevin Clark, Ringer NFL, Slow News Day. He's the best. All right, KC. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, bro. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. Kevin Clark and I need to get back on the golf course immediately. And I want Jim Nance play-by-play of my golf swing. I mean, I think he'd be horrified if he played around the golf with me, quite frankly especially with the way I'm hitting the golf ball right about now. That's why I'm going for a lesson tomorrow, trying to fine-tune some things. See, like, my golf game peaked this year in, like, July, and it basically went right down the toilet as soon as we went to Las Vegas. I feel like I had a decent round in Vegas, and I fell apart ever since I came back. Maybe it's mental, maybe it's physical, maybe it's all the above. I don't know. But since I'm going to be in Florida for the dolphin giant bond burner the week after Thanksgiving. And I'm staying down doing the show an additional week uh, with some sunshine. I want my golf game to be at a much better place. So if I'm playing a couple of days that week, I'm not going to make a fool of myself and lose like 10 zillion balls in the water. See, now if you're playing golf in the Northeast, you still can. I mean, it's beautiful outside. The leaves are a problem. So like if you're one of those people that uses like the yellow, the orange golf ball, don't bother. You're never going to find your ball. You're never, ever, ever going to find your ball. Florida, I think I'll be okay as far as the leaves go. But all the hazards, all the water, I mean, uh, I'll be making plenty of donations, if you know what I mean. So ask me anything, time. We're mixing it up a little bit with the voicemails. And we're going to do this a lot more. So listen, if you randomly have a thought for me that you want to throw my way, and it's not, let's say, Jets and Giants related or Yankees, Mets, Knicks, Nets related. It's fair game. That's what we have the voicemail line for. So Rudy might throw it in. He might save it for a later date. But, you know, the more the merrier, as they say. 917-382-1151. Let's have some fun with these. All right, so Rudy, what do we got? Hey, what's up, JJ? This is Pete and Menacing. I got a question for you. We got college basketball season starting tomorrow. And I'm really excited for uh, the Jimmy V Classic next month. I'm a Villanova guy, and we're playing the uh, Syracuse Orange. And I really miss hating Syracuse. And I was just uh, just thinking, I'm I'm curious, who does JJ hate? You know, both now, you know, in the ACC, and who do you hate? You know, back in the Big East when when Syracuse was in the Big East. So, who do you hate, uh, JJ, in in, uh, in college basketball? 
Later. That is a fabulous first question for Ask Me Anything. Fabulous. And it's rather apropos with college basketball season starting up. I'm bummed I'm not going to be at the Jimmy V Classic. I fully planned on it. I thought it was a shoo-in. I was like, oh, I'm going to get back from Giants Dolphins. I'll go that Tuesday. Then I decided to stay an extra week and a half. So that's out now. I'll be watching on TV, uh, cursing and screaming probably as Villanova hits 23s. Okay. Who do I hate the most in the ACC currently? It's an easy call. And I know our guy, Taylor Levine, is not going to want to hear this. And I love him. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. But it's his alma mater. I can't stand Virginia. I hate the style they play at. They've had some epic games with the Qs. I went to the Cary Dome a couple of years ago. The Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome team. They hit like 10 zillion threes like they were the Splash Brother Golden State Warrior team. And they just, they play this like irritating style of basketball. I can't stand Virginia. And aside from the six overtime win for the Qs, my favorite all-time win, actually it's probably better than the six overtime game considering the circumstance, is Syracuse stunning Virginia in the Elite Eight, rising from the dead on Easter Sunday. Remember that Kevin Harlan call? They won that game as a massive underdog. I think you could still hear the screaming when Malachi Richardson and Tyler Lydon were hitting threes like crazy. So Virginia is the team in the ACC I hate the most. All-time? I mean, if you're a Q's guy, you hate Georgetown. What's funny is I hated UConn more when I started school. I really did because UConn was really good. Rudy Gay, um, they had Kemba. They, I'm trying to think who's the other guy I couldn't stand. AJ Price, couldn't stand AJ Price. UConn and Syracuse, that rivalry was hot when I was in school. But senior year, Syracuse-Georgetown had some epic games. And my hatred for Georgetown, I went down there and, and, and the Georgetown fan was tough to take. I mean, some of the stuff, I've been to a lot of sporting events and I'm kind of numb. So, like, the verbal abuse, like, it is what it is, especially if it's good-spirited and it's kind of fun. It's back and forth. When I went to Boston, for example, the Yankees-Red Sox was awesome. The fans were great. They'd give you a little shit. You'd give them a little shit. It was all good. The Georgetown people were very, very vicious. I mean, I was down there with Kate. I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And listen, I'm sure there are horror stories about people and their experiences up at the Q's, but Georgetown-Syracuse, Pearl, John Thompson, Jim Beheim. You're going to hear about that with Dan O'Neill coming up a little bit. It's got to be Georgetown. Like, I see a Georgetown sh shirt when I go for a run, and I give him a style. I actually did the other day. I, I went for my nine-mile run. I saw somebody in a Georgetown shirt. I wanted to be like, Georgetown sucks. Go Cubes. So That's always in your blood. Good question. All right, what do we got for number two? Hey, JJ, this is Aaron from Iowa. I saw on Twitter you said that you're – doing an AMA, so yeah, my question is completely unrelated. Um, about a week ago, or a little bit more than a week ago, it was Halloween. Um, I'm just getting up, so that's why my voice might sound kind of weird. What's your favorite Halloween costume that you've done? Like, What were you most proud of in all of your life? Thanks. That is a very interesting question. Okay. There are a couple. And I feel like my Halloween creativity clearly peaked when I was in college. Because when you're in college, you go all out for Halloween. Freshman year, and I was as sick as a dog. 
I remember this vividly. I was so sick. I was like, I'm not going to go out. But it's fresh in your Halloween. How do you not? I was John Travolta for Saturday Night Fever. And the first night I went out, I kind of did my hair normal. Then the second day, I had one of the girls on the floor. She was like, you got to slick your hair fully back. You got to really embrace it. We embraced it. And that was when my hair was like kind of poofed out at the time. So that is a vivid Halloween costume. Then me and a bunch of my roommates senior year, we were the Teletubbies. And we might as well have been the Beatles on the Syracuse campus. Because I think every like female co-ed on campus wanted a picture of the Teletubbies. So that was a winning costume. And then I would say recently, Kate and I did the Woody Bo Peep costume from uh, Toy Story. Love dressing up as Woody. There's a buddy of mine who actually thinks I kind of look like Woody, which I take as a compliment. I think he's meaning it to be more of an insult, but that's fine. I love, I was always more of a Woody guy than a Buzz Lightyear guy. And I would have took Toy Story in the top three Hanks movies. I know unpopular take. He's Tom Hanks. He's got all these brilliant films. Listen, his role of Woody, it's iconic. So I, I think that covers the basis of uh, the life of John Jastrzemski dressing up for Halloween. And, you know, I'm a little bummed I didn't get after it this year because I think with the year hiatus with COVID, People, I mean, I saw on social media, they were going all out for Halloween. I was impressed. Like, I, I was actually feeling FOMO that Kate and I didn't really step up our game. We really didn't have anywhere to go, number one. And I had to work. I mean, I do TV on Saturday and Friday and Halloween Sunday. So I was sitting around watching the Dolphins get their ass whooped by the Bills. So uh, next year. Next year. Maybe we'll do something big. Who's next? JJ, it's uh, Anthony and Syosset. Uh Listen, question for you. Um, I'm driving home the other day, and I'm flipping around the stations. Obviously, I used to have the fan as my preset no longer. But I'm flipping around, and, you know, it's the afternoon, and I land on your former station, and, and I'm listening for about 45 seconds, and I said to myself, how the hell did this happen? Like, like if, if, if I put that station on in the afternoon and I hear them talk sports, it'll be the first time I've heard them talk sports in the afternoon in a few years. So my question to you, you know, you're in this new venture now. You get phone calls from all over the world. You're getting recognition on, a, on not only a national level, but in some instances a global level. Um, is, is there any point where, and more, and more than anything, by the way, you're your own boss to an extent, right, Bill in L.A. But is there any point, uh, Disco J, where you're doing this new gig and you say to yourself, man, I miss the radio days? Because I can tell you right now, just falling on that station the other day and listening to the shit that they put out now, I think not only did you make the right move, but you made the right move at the right time. And lastly, uh, and if I'm a sucker, please tell me I'm a sucker, I am in love with the Titans minus three at home against the Saints this weekend. I, 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 I understand the Saints' run defense. I understand the Titans are due for a loss. I understand no Derrick Henry, and I understand it's probably the sucker bet of sucker bets. But can you explain to me, am I right to be in love with that, or am I a sucker? So, again, do you miss that god-awful radio station and our Titans minus three to play this weekend? Thank you, Disco. Anthony and Sayas, it's my pleasure. Listen, I had a great run there for a long time. I would not be here if I wasn't there. But I don't miss it at all. Truth be told, God is my witness. Could not be happier. First of all, 
We are killing it. I love the platform. I love the support. My guys who I'm working with are top-notch. I mean, we're talking about top-notch, extraordinary type of people. And you're telling me I miss the idea of being up at like 3 in the morning on a Tuesday where I'm trying to churn out a five-hour radio show? No. What are, you, what, are you, what are you kidding me? Are you serious? You don't realize the situation you're in sometimes until you're out of it. Like, at the time, was I miserable? No, I loved what I was doing. I had a passion for what I was doing. When you get yourself out of that and you kind of see what else is out there, it is an eye-opening experience, my friend. And listen, I'm not going to speak for the programming on the station. That's neither here nor there. It's not my problem. It's not my issue. But I can tell you something that we pride ourselves on. When there is a big event in New York sports, or listen, any event for that matter, you want your show to feel like it's must-listen. When the Yankees got knocked out of the playoffs, I'm not going to tell you what I had for dinner. We're going to be letting it loose for whatever the amount of time may be and getting things off our chest. That's what this show will always be. When it is a must for a New York sports fan, a must in sports, this is where you want to be. So what they are doing, listen, I wish them nothing but the best. I do. I have no hard feelings because I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be working for Bill. I wouldn't be working for the ringer. I wouldn't be working with my guys and have this awesome, awesome experience. And we've only just begun. So no, I, I, I do not miss my old employer in the least. It was a hell of a run. I'm proud of what I did there. I, I could not be happier being here. I can't stress that enough. And if you think otherwise, you're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, but listen, you're an idiot. If you think I'm like miserable, uh, you're a fool. I have great hours. We build our schedule around the games. We build our schedule around you. The support is awesome. Oh, and the Spotify stock price is uh, doing pretty good. That too. If you want, you want to take that into account, you could throw that. That is the cherry on top, my friend. I, I, I see that stock price every morning. And, uh, you know, I have that like evil grin on my face, basically. Um, I'm not going to give you a pick on Titans and Saints yet. I can tell you, early look, that line stinks. I've had plenty of issues picking against the Titans this year. But that line stinks. That line absolutely positively stinks. So stay tuned on Thursday. Joe B with a losing week. Yes, truly with a winning week. So we are now even with very undesirable records. Let's put it that way. Next. John, Mike from Washington. First time, long time. You got to settle a $100 bet. If you're the Knicks GM, diehard Knicks fans, me and my buddy, season ticket holders, partial, not rich enough to do the full. Do you trade Julius Randle for win now assets because he might not be the guy or do you just be happy as a Knicks fan for the first time in fucking 10 years we've had back-to-back -back seasons where we're like at least watchable I'm betting on the Knicks every game maybe not when they're the favorite I think we keep him we got him at a great salary he says we got him at Grace Sally, which makes him a better trade asset. And he doesn't think he can be the best player in a championship team. We need to settle the bait. $100 on the line. 
cut the feed here because I got a separate offer for you. One spot open, Liberty National, November 23rd, with the general manager. You're going to love it. Feel free to post the call. The tea time is only available if you actually post the call. Well, I am taking you up on that offer of playing Liberty National. I've played it with the great Nick Lefterakis. It is a phenomenal course. It's one of the prettiest courses in America. So you're going to have to leave a voicemail and set up that tee time with Saruti because I am absolutely down to play. As far as your question, Randall's not going anywhere. They just signed him to a huge extension. That's number one. Is he the best player on a championship team? Nowhere close. I don't even know if Julius Randall can be the second best player on a championship team. It's not the point. The point for the Knicks is to build a culture, which they are doing. They were undesirable. They were toxic. They were a place that nobody wanted to be associated with. Free agents laughed at the idea of playing at Madison Square Garden and playing for the New York Knicks. The last year plus has changed that in a big way, I believe. So Randall's here. I'll worry about his long-term future six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. But as far as like between now and a trade, Julius Randall's not going anywhere. And he's far from perfect. He had a great game last night. We know he stunk in the playoffs. He's not a number two on a championship team. I don't think so. I, I think he could be a number three on a championship team. But I think the most important thing for the Knicks is the idea of Barrett continuing to emerge. And Barrett being that guy, considering he's not even 22 years old. So let me know about that tee time. I got to get my golf game in order if I'm going to get back at Liberty National. I'm playing from the members, though. I'm okay. I just can't be... You can't have me playing from the tips. No, no, no. no. That's that's a hard pass. All right, two to go. What do we got? Hey, JJ. It's Morris from Brooklyn. So with the new Eternals movie coming out, I was wondering what your top five Marvel Cinematic Universe movies were. That's one. And two, Charlie from Elmhurst also alluded to this in the chat. What were your thoughts on Eternals? Thank you, JJ. Appreciate the time. Wow. Top? Five Marvel movies. And for anybody wondering, I started watching all of these in a row during COVID. Now, I saw a handful. I saw the Iron Mans. I saw Black Panther. I saw the first Avengers. I don't know why I never followed up on the second Avengers. But my buddy, my good friend, my old producer, the great Nittany Lion, Michael Fliegelman, when COVID hit, and I needed something to do. He would just keep hammering the idea. He said, JJ, you have to watch these movies. They're going to change your life. You're going to love them. It's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten in my career. Seriously. Because, like, that was six months of just so much fun, so much excitement, anticipation, you name it. Okay. If we're talking about a top five Marvel movie list, you have to put Infinity War and Endgame one and two. And I'm sorry if nobody has seen the Marvel movies. Like, and if you're going to do it, honestly, skip over this and go to the next question. If you've seen them, listen, I don't feel bad because they've been out for like 15 years. So, I mean, I was late to the party. Now I'm commenting on it. So too freaking bad. Those two movies, the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, combining all of these characters, combining all of these storylines for this like grand conclusion you have to put those two movies. I actually like Infinity War a little bit more than Endgame, 
but I'm going to have them one and two. Okay. Then you're looking at the other three. It's tough. I'm going to put the first Iron Man three because it was so much fun. It's Robert Downey Jr. Jeff Bridges is the bad guy. Gwyneth Paltrow is awesome in it. And it's the one in many ways that started it all. So I'm going to put Iron Man, the original, that came out in 2008. I remember when I saw it in the movie theaters. That's going to be number three for me. Number four, The Winter Soldier, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Hands down, the best Captain America. Hands down, Civil War is great. Civil War is great, but The Winter Soldier, the way they... They kind of tie everything together with Hydra and this. It's just in Bucky. It's so good. So, so good. Peak Scarlett Johansson, too. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Now, the fifth choice, and, you know, I feel bad leaving off Ant-Man because I really liked it. I thought Paul Rudd was great. I thought Michael Douglas was great. It's a notch below. It's a notch below. I could go with another Captain America. I'm not going to do it. I want to give love to the Guardians of the Galaxy because I'm a sucker for that like type of music, like the old school throwbacks. Like I'm singing all the songs when the movie came out. The idea that they were able to tie that together to the storyline, I thought was so, so cool. Um, and both of them were great. You Take your pick if you like the first one or the second one more. I actually think I like the second one more, so I'm going to throw it in as the fifth one. So that is going to be my Marvel list. Infinity War, Endgame, Iron Man, Winter Soldier, Guardians. I'll say Guardians 2. If you want to put Guardians 1 there, I really don't care. Honestly, what I should do is combine Infinity War and Endgame and combine the two Galaxy movies and throw another one in there, but that'd be cheating. So I'm not going to do that. The Guardians, and I can't wait for the next Guardians of the Galaxy to come out. I think Chris Pratt is awesome. He seems like a great dude. Everybody in Hollywood loves him. We had Melinda Clark on the show. She loved him. Bilson says the same thing when he did the OC. He just seems like a great dude. Fabulous, fabulous dude. We may have to try to get him on the podcast, by the way. Sweetie. Let's talk to Allison Turner about that. I mean, I don't know if he likes New York sports at all. I really don't care. We may have to get Chris Pratt on the show. So, top five Marvel movies. Excellent, excellent question. All right, last but not least, before we hit some trivia. Hey, JJ, Charlie Elmhurst. So uh, thank you for bringing back the Ask Me Anything question because I want to ask you this, and this is it. So since the Yankee season, finally, I mean, disgustingly, it's over. So I want to ask you a question. I want, I want to ask this question. There are plenty of soul-crushing, disgusting loss in the season. Now, let's make a top five of one of the disgusting loss in Yankee season. 2021. Number five, the wild card game. For me, wild card game against Boston. I mean, what can you say? Number four, this is underrated, disgusting. Uh, I think it was the May 28th, the Friday night game in Detroit. Uh, Bats doing nothing. Cole pitching well. Bottom of the 10th. Uh, Justin Wilson had the guy struck out. Next pitch, uh, Robbie Grossman hit the two run home run. Uh, one of the underrated, disgusting loss. That's the probably the beginning of down, downfall of the scene. Number three is you're at the game at Fenway Park in late July, that Thursday night game. You were with Mr. Saruti. That choke Chad Green and the uh, embarrassment. Chris uh four-wild pitches, the 5-4 loss in 
Fenway Park. That's number three. Number two is 7-Eleven. Uh, when this, this team was what, five, run, five runs in the bottom of the ninth inning, even this team's leaving a small country on the bases, uh, three for 17 runners, scorpion, I believe, uh, give up six runs. I remember that game. Six runs. Give up six runs and Altuve had the last five with three on home run and Chad freaking green. Effing green. I can't stand him. Choke. Choke. And I remember that game because Anthony decided to blow up. That's number two. The disgusting loss. The carnage. Disgusting loss in Houston. 7-11. Number one is, uh, one of the worst, this one is, no doubt, one of the worst, uh, regular season loss of recent memories. You were at the game. That Chapman giving a grand slam game after the team scored seven runs, chased Otani on the first inning. Offense do nothing between two rain delays, and it happened at 1 a.m. in the morning. Ah, uh, I mean, ah, uh, what can you say? Oh my God. I mean, what do you think? What do you think? I know this might. What do you think? That's number one. Chapman giving our grand slam game. What do you think? I know. I know it stinks to think about this thing, and it's disgusting now. It's off season, so maybe you can like, you know, have some, have some, have some with it. So maybe add a candidate with like. You know, no hitter turned into disaster in Fenway, that Herman game, Field of Dreams, loss, on and on and on. Think of the season's over, off season, Knicks. I love this ask me anything question. Thank you, JJ. Well, I appreciate that, Charlie. And I think I'm going to surprise a lot of people. I am not going to have the wild card loss featured on this list because you knew the Yankees were dead basically from the sixth inning on. And listen, Obviously, a playoff game takes on another life. You lose a playoff game, it's a kick in the balls. It's it's disgusting. But, like, it wasn't a – it was soul-crushing from a standpoint of what it meant. It was not soul-crushing in the way it went down. You know what I mean? There were far more, like, gut-wrenching losses as far as, like, drama and intrigue and just, like, heartbreak. So I'm going to leave the wild card off of this. I'm going to give you my five regular season games. Now, my criteria is obviously going to be biased because I have a couple of these on here that I was in attendance for. So when you're there, it adds to it. Does that make sense? The fifth one I'm going to give you. I'm going to count down from five to one. The fifth one is the Herman game. Now, I was not at this game. Thank goodness. Because I think if I was, it would have been higher on the list. I remember I was listening in a golf cart because I was finishing up a golf round. And I got off the golf course basically to watch the final three innings of the game. I listened to John and Susan. I was in a really good mood. I hit the golf ball really well. And then I got to watch Herman get taken out after a no-no, give up the no-no, and then the Yankee bullpen absolutely imploded, and they lost three out of four to the Red Sox. I'm putting that fifth on the list. Fourth on the list, and I was in a building for it. Game one of the doubleheader against the Mets. When Cole got shellacked, that was in the middle of the spider attack stuff. The Yankees have a lead. They have a one-run lead in the ninth inning. And Chapman gives up the home run to Alonzo. Hangs the slider when he couldn't hit a fastball all year. The great Caroline Jastrzemski and I were in the building for that one. Losing to the Mets is always extra painful. So I'm putting that fourth on the list. Third game I'm putting on the list. The Astros Sunday game when they had a five-run lead, green on the mound, and you get walked off on by Altuve. Going in the all-star break on that was 
Pretty sickening. Pretty freaking sickening. Two to go. Now, this game probably was not as bad as the Sunday Red Sox game, but because Rudy and I were there and we did the show, it felt that much worse. That Thursday night Yankee-Red Sox game, when they had a two-run lead, green on the mound, they had, like, all the cast of thousands in there. It looked like it was going to be this great Yankee win. They're one out away from winning the game, and green gives up the double to Kike Hernandez. They bring in Krisky, who basically couldn't throw a strike. It was the biggest embarrassment known to man. He's like bouncing three or four pitches, no way close to the strike zone. Having to sit through that, having to witness that, that's number two. But hands down, the worst regular season loss of the year for me was that Angel debacle. And the only silver lining with that Angel debacle is that I ended up in the Delta suite. So, like, there were two rain delays. We're sitting around forever. And then the Yankees proceeded to lose that game. Oh, my God. That was... Four-run lead in the ninth inning, seeing Chapman give up a game-tying grand slam, and then to lose in extra innings if they had to sit around for that game for that amount of time. I don't even know if it was... No, they lost in the ninth inning, but it felt like extra innings because it was... Ooh, that was... That was the worst loss of the year. And I was at the ballpark that day for like seven hours. So that clearly, for what it's worth, adds to the misery. Trivia time. I am coming off a stellar, stellar, stellar trivia record where I was just on the top of my game last week. Larry in Florida, I know you're coming out with a heavy hitter or two. I'm ready for you, bro. What do we got? JJ, Larry in Florida, I got two for you today. Who were the last three guys drafted number one overall in the NFL draft that were non-quarterbacks? The second one is Jock Peterson won back-to-back World Series with the Dodgers and the Braves. Who was the last guy to win back-to-back World Series with two different teams before Peterson? I'm out. Two very fascinating questions from Larry. I have a very strong feel on number two. Number one, I think, is going to require a little bit of thinking and a little bit of work. We'll have that answer coming up. Dana O'Neill on her new book on the Big East. That's coming up. And yeah, you got to wait for a pick on the wonderful Thursday night game. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite because I walk around LA every day. I like the joggers. I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. I'm going to start with trivia question number two. Jock Peterson, the last guy to win back-to-back World Series for two different teams. I think I know, guys, the answer to this question. Has a little bit of a local feel and a little bit of a local twang. Ben Zobras was on the 2015 Kansas City Royals and was on the 2016 Chicago Cubs. I'm going to say the last player to win back-to-back World Series on different teams, Ben Zobrist. I told you guys, 
I was very, very confident in that answer. Very, very, very confident in that answer. Like I'm doing a place your bets, like one star, two star, three star. That would have been a three star. Unload the bank account. Like I, I would have been shocked if that was not correct. So one for one right out of the gate. Now, this one is going to require much more thinking. The last three non-number one picks, non-quarterback number one picks. All right, one I could think of immediately. And I might be going out of order here. I don't care if I go out of order. Guys, number one, Miles Garrett. Okay, one down, two to go. One down, two to go. See, I kind of got to like walk through the draft classes over the last few years. And then you got to kind of like do some deductive reasoning and figure out, all right, who wasn't a quarterback? Last year was Lawrence. The year before that was Burrow. The 2019 draft was, no, Baker was 18. 2019 draft. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. He was out this past week. The 2019 draft. Oh, Kyler Murray. That's right, Kyler. We had a quarterback up. That's correct. See, I was thinking you didn't have a quarterback. 2017. Yeah, so Garrett was the last guy, the last non-quarterback. These guys were all all came before Garrett. Oh, I think I have one for you guys. Jadavion Clowney. Two down, one to go. Two down, one to go. That's I was the hardest at one. the. I was at the Jadavion Clowney draft. Okay, so now we have somebody in between Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett. We got to think this through. We got to think this through. I'm like going through all these draft classes, just trying to think of players and trying to think of dudes. Between Miles Garrett and between hmm, Clowney, is it an offensive or a defensive player, boys? It is an offensive player. Okay. I appreciate that. And I, I got to give you another hit. It's not, it's not in between those two. Oh, it is not in between. No, no. So actually, you know, you you've gone in order so far. It's it's Garrett Clowney, and then this guy. So this guy is before Jadavion Clowney. Correct. Mm, okay. Before Jadavion Clowney, offensive player. Oh man. Definitely not a running back. Definitely not a running back. Uh, running backs don't get taken number one overall. Not in this day and age. If you take a running back number one, you're out of your mind. Jeez. Um, it's got to be either a lineman or was it a wide receiver? Oh, I'm annoyed now. I'm annoyed now. I'm like going through top picks over the last few years. I'll say this. He he wasn't a bad player, but I don't think lived up to the hype. He did win a Super Bowl. Wasn't a bad player. Did not live up to the hype. Won a Super Bowl. Wow. That's a tough name. <laughs> more, you want me to give you more hints? How about the college he attended? Uh, is that going to give it away? Uh, yeah, it's a small school. Not it was not a big. It was not a major conference school. 
small school. I'm annoyed that I do not know this. It's going to bother me when you guys give me the answer. It is it, going to How about me. this? It's a tackle. It's a tackle. I, I figured tackle. it was an offensive lineman. And that year, uh, t- tackles went 1-2 in the draft. Actually, three of the top four picks. Oh, were, were I know tackled. who this. I know who this is. Oh, geez, this is the 2013 draft, right, yep. guys? Yep. First quarterback in that draft was EJ Manuel, taken 16th overall. Oh God, overall. that was the EJ <laughs> Manuel, Ryan Nassib, uh, Geno Smith quarterback crop. This was I not a great draft. That. In fact, the oh, top of this man. draft is all time is might be all time bad. It's not Eric Fisher, right? It is Eric Fisher. Really? Wow. See, who is the other lineman I was thinking of? Well, Luke Jokel went two that year. That's who it was. Get a load of the top of this draft. Eric Fisher won. Luke Jokel to the Jags, two. Uh, your Dolphins took Deion Jordan, bust. Lane what Johnson uh, has been a good player. Uh, Ezekiel Onsad, Lions, eh. Barkevius Mingo, bust. Uh, Jonathan Cooper, guard, bust. Uh, Rams took Tavon Austin bust. D. Milner to the Jets bust. I mean, it was just a terrible draft. Who is the best? Who is the best player in that first round? Was it DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, let's see. Let me go through the whole thing. Yep, it's Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. That and he went. Ta- and he went. And that was the year the Jets. Remember, had two first round yep. picks because of the Revis trade. Yep, they took Sheldon Richardson with their other pick. Who has had a decent NFL career. Much better it's, than D. Milner's. Lane John- I mean, and Lane Johnson's had a good career. Yeah, Lane he's Johnson okay. He's had he's, a good career. Yeah, good player. Not great. Good player. And Fisher. Yeah, Fisher I, was okay. He, you know, he, you know, you know uh, not for nothing, our guy Justin Pugh has been one of the better first round picks that year. This not this first round is is atrocious. It, Ur- it's, Ertz I didn't mean, even make the first. I'm looking right now because Xavier Rhodes, who's been in the NFL for a while, Kyle Long, uh, Kenny Vaccaro. Uh, oh my God! This is Chance this, Warmack, DJ Fluker. This is this has got to be the worst first round in the last ten terrible. years. I mean, I mean how just, could it not be? How could it not be, boys? Holy! Not only moly. were there no quarterbacks, none of the actual players turned out to be that great. I mean, your your best players in this draft are yeah, DeAndre at least uh, that were taken early, are and the Hopkins, Honey Badger, the Honey Badger, um, and, K- and Kelsey was drafted, but wait. Kelsey was yeah. late. For, uh, Travis Frederick was a good player, although he just retired. Um, uh, center Cowboys. Cordell Patterson has, has had a nice little rebirth, but he I don't, wouldn't say that he justified being picked in the first round. Um, what a weird draft. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm going through this draft right now. You guys want to laugh? Go scroll through the 2013 draft class. Not exactly a bunch of household names. Let's put it that way. Gino right, Smith taken in the second round of that draft, oh, too. Boy. Second quarterback oh. taken. <laughs> Don't remind Joe Beningo of that on Thursday. You want to get on Joe's shit list, mention the name Tino Smith. All right, up next, Dan O'Neill's got a fabulous new book on the Big East, which I'm in the middle of reading right now. It's absolutely fantastic. She's uh, ready to uh, share some stories with us right after this. So I'm super fired up to welcome in Dan O'Neill because the Big East is my heart. The Big East is my soul. Went to Syracuse. I was there for the six overtime game. I did radio up there. It's a big part of who I am. So when her book came out, the Big East inside the most entertaining and influential conference in college basketball history, I said, we got to have some fun with Dana. Dana, congratulations on the book. How you doing? I'm great. And thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, as you know, if you're a fan of the Big East, you know how insane it was. So getting people to tell stories was not even work. It was a lot of fun. 
Well, you've been covering college basketball a long time. You were around the Big East a long time. When was the moment for you where it kind of like clicked in where it's like, okay, I think I should write a book about this. Well, you know, I wish I could say that I was that smart. I tell everybody like, I assumed somebody had written a story, a book about the Big East. Honestly, I really did. I had written a story for the athletic of, during rivalry week. I kind of went and talked to a bunch of coaches about the chaos of the Big East meetings to have some fun. And a book agent who's a Georgetown grad reached out to me, said, Hey, I've been looking for someone to write a book about the Big East. And I was like, dude, somebody had to write this book about the Big East. Nope. Um, so then when he said so, I'm like, absolutely. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't believe it hasn't been done. Um, so yeah, I jumped right on board as soon as he, he pitched the idea at me. So when you think about why this conference got as popular as it ended up becoming in the early to mid-1980s, would you say the bigger reason, television, the Carrier Dome, Patrick Ewing, Dave Gavitt? If you had to pick one of those four, or is it all of the above? I mean, technically, it's probably all of the above, but I think if, if you're going to have to pick one, you got to start with Dave Gavitt, right? Because none of it happens without him having kind of the nerve to envision the whole thing. At the time, you know, all the New York kids were going down to the ACC because the ACC was more popular. And nobody thought that Eastern basketball could be a thing because they were all in the ECAC kind of making their own schedule. So it took the daring of Dave Gavitt to put it together. And then, yeah, then he got, I don't say lucky isn't the right word, but he had great timing because ESPN was just starting and needed content. Patrick Ewing and Chris Mullen, you know, were of the right age. So everything sort of came together in a perfect storm. But you needed a visionary to say, oh, oh, this can actually work. And he was the only one, honestly, that thought it could. You think about the stars of the Big East. Uh, I mean, it works to your favor when you got Patrick Ewing, you got Chris Mullen, you got Pearl Washington. And then, oh, by the way, the coaches. Because, you know, that's the thing. Like, you think about it, Dana. Obviously, the players transcend and like you're going to talk about Chris Mullen, you're going to talk about Patrick Ewing for forever in Big East history. But the John Thompsons, the Jim Behans, the Rowie Massimino's, the Louis Carnesecas, the, the Bill Rafters of the world. You got like these all time characters that almost became the program uh, for better or worse. Like when you thought of those particular programs. You thought far more about those individuals leading them than you did their actual players. 100%. And, you know, you think about the stuff they got away with now. Like, imagine, like, some of the stuff that they did then that if coaches tried to do it now, it'd be insane. Like, that's the thing. Like, they didn't care. All of them were either established enough to know that they were safe or they were indifferent to it and they were so combustible that they weren't afraid to be themselves. I mean, you know, Rick Pitino told a story about going practically, like, blow for blow with John Thompson, knowing like, like he's like looking at his navel because he was so short, but like they're screaming at one another in the middle of the game, not even coaching. Like imagine like that today. And Gary Williams is chasing Roly Massimino down a back hallway at Boston College because he's convinced Roly's going after the officials at halftime and Roly's screaming at him, get back in your locker room. And Gary turns the lead. He's like, wait, this is my gym. You don't get to tell me to go to my locker room. Like, they were crazy, but I think the really cool thing that I learned right in this book was at the end of the day, they all wanted to kill one another on the court, but Dave convinced them that when it was all off the court, they had to be about Big East first. They had to put their differences aside and make this league a go. So if you want to kill one another for 40 minutes, that's cool, but then you have to support one another, which was really hard to do, but they all did it. 
they all they all bought into the league, which is huge. When you were doing your research, and we're talking about coaches who were like at the height of their differences, was Beheim Thompson that like biggest hurdle yeah. and that biggest obstacle? Yeah, they. I mean, people thought that that wasn't real. That the animosity between the two of them wasn't real. It was very real. They did not care for one another. I mean, a lot of it started with you know John Thompson. Manly Field House's clothes, like, you know, that that didn't help, that's for sure. I mean, people wanted him suspended after that. They're calling the league offices and telling him he should be suspended. So the animosity between the two was real. And a lot of it was built on competitiveness, right? I mean, both programs are so good, and they had so many crazy moments. I mean, with the Michael Graham fight, they had so many moments that really stoked the flames. Eventually, Gavitt was like, look, you guys can hate one another, but you got to tolerate one another. And years later, he made them sit down in the bleachers and just have a conversation, find a mutual ground of respect, which they did. And then eventually, you know, they came around to really feeling for one another. I mean, their their respect and admiration for one another grew, but it was not good early. Remember, Jim was young, like Jim was brand new head coach. So he was trying to establish himself. And John was out of high school. I mean, he was a high school coach. So they're both sort of like, fucking at each other at the same time. And that was a lot of it. So it took years. It took years for them to get on and get over it. Are you shocked that Jim Beheim is still doing this? I feel like he's never <laughs> going to stop. Like I thought maybe with his sons, that would be like the swan song. And that would be like the ride off into the sunset moment. I don't see it. Dana, I think he's going to coach as long as he wants to coach. And who am I to tell him no, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny because after Kay retired or announced his retirement, after Mike Shostakovich announced his retirement, I knew, same as you, I'm thinking, all right, buddy, Jimmy, you're there. This is the year. I called Jim. I'm like, well, what do you think? He's like, well, if I retire now, nobody's going to care. Like, everybody cares about Mike Shostakovich. I might as well not now. So, yeah, I mean, he's literally the, he was literally the last coach standing, like, of the original Big East, and he's still there. Like, it's, it's insane. But yet, again, like, they're still relevant. They're still winning games. So, who are we to tell him to go? You know, I mean, I think it'll be interesting. My guess is like, at, you know, now that Mike Hopkins, uh, you know, the plan is gone. Jerry McNamara is in a really good spot, I would think, to be the next head coach there. So maybe eventually if Jim feels that it's time, he'll go and maybe go do some more stuff with USA Basketball. But I don't know when that's coming. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. You know what's interesting? So the Big East has this great history in the eighties, obviously you have the great year where three teams end up going to the final four, but then the nineties in many ways is about the rise of UConn. The idea yep. that Jim Calhoun could take a program that is completely out of nowhere and turn them not only into a big East power, you turn them into a power that's winning national championships. That had to be interesting to try to like discover. And you were around obviously. So you saw firsthand yep. what UConn was able to do. Richard Hamilton, Ray Allen, yada, yada, yada. But like, they're in this conference. They're at the bottom of the barrel. And then they end up becoming, you know, the top dog. It's crazy to think about that, Dan. It is, it is crazy. And the funny thing is, when Dave Gavitt wanted to add UConn, nobody wanted him. Everyone's like, uh-uh. Like, UConn, big state school. They didn't fit in with everybody else. And they weren't very good. Like, everyone was against UConn. And he kept saying, sleeping giant, sleeping giant. Well, it wouldn't. It would have been a very sleepy giant if they had hired Jim Calhoun, right? Jim Calhoun comes in from Northeast and just bluster, angry, ready to like just beat everybody. He's such an intense coach. I said, he, I think he might be the single worst loser in the history of time. Like that six overtime game. 
I remember afterwards, everyone's all gracious. Like, this is uh, he was He's miserable. Like, I was there for that, Dana. He was right? me miserable. 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 And even, even for this book, he said to me, he's like, well, it's like saying, you know, you got shot at Gettysburg. Like, it was an honor to be at Gettysburg. I still got shot. That's what he said. Like, why would I be happy? So, yeah, I mean, he comes in and he starts getting Connecticut kids. Like, that was the most important thing. Like, you know, eventually he recruits the whole country, but he starts getting Connecticut kids to stay home. Like, Steve Michael, you know, now the Rutgers coach, played for him. And, you know, nobody was staying close to home. And he was, and he said the same thing. Like, his dad was thrilled because he was close by, but nobody else really wanted to stay home. Like, he had to first recruit at home and then kind of build it. And it is amazing. I mean, you've been to stores, like, there ain't much there. Like, it's, you know, it's like, it's not like stores is tucked in this great little hamlet. It's pretty much nothing going on. And what he did there was absolutely amazing. He told a story like, he used to say, you know, we're the Yukon Huskies and everybody thought it was Yukon, like Y-U-K-O-N. Like nobody got Yukon Huskies. Like they actually thought he was like talking about like frickin' Alaska. So that's where he was starting at. Like literally like from nowhere, no name recognition. You covered the six overtime game. You think about yeah. your years being around the Big East. Is that your favorite Big East moment? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that that day was miserable. I got to the arena at like a 1030 because I was covered. Yeah, because the they would go from high noon basically until midnight. That's the, yeah. that's why everybody loves the Big East tournament so much, Dana, because, you know, you get out of work. You'd say, all right, I'm going to go have a little happy hour, a little lunch. I'll stay at noon. Uh, I'll blow off dinner. I'll stay there for 11, 12 hours. It's great if you're a fan. Maybe not so much for a journalist. No, yeah, I got there at 10.30, and I forget the order of the game, but I do remember there was a great game at noon. Villanova, I think, was in a good game, and somebody else was. I wrote, I had written like three times already by the time the, the Syracuse-UConn game tipped off. So I was pretty tired, you know what I mean? I got in at 10.30. I think I left the arena at like 3.45 in the morning after I finally wrote my story. It was insane. I mean, Eric Devendorf, when he thought he hit the shot, his sneakers, honest to God, practically took out my laptop. He jumped up on the press table, thought he hit the game winner. I was like moving my laptop over. And I do remember the best part. I mean, there were so many moments in that game. But I remember after like, I forget, like four overtimes, one of the ushers, you know, in between the timeouts, uh, in between the overtimes, they would stand, the ushers stood in front of the press table. I don't know why, but they did. And one of the guys just looked at me he's like, when did we get to go to a shootout? Like, it was just like, it's never going to end. And people went home and took the train home to Philly and we're still, I mean, it was insane. I think, yeah, I mean, that, that was for me, like, you know, I was there for when Kemba, you know, crossed up, you know, Pitt and I, I was there for Kemba's great run and a lot of great moments. That one was just, that's like a, one of those, I was there. I saw that. I, I feel the same moment. way. I'm like, right? I get geeked out because I was yeah. doing radio that night. We're doing radio from way up top. And I was a little diabolical in my college days, Dana. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I said, we have our, obviously we had media passes. I'm going to find a Pitt or a West Virginia media person seat because they're going to be writing their story about the game, DeWan Blair, all that stuff. So me and my radio partner stayed in those seats. We didn't get bothered the entire night. And I think we were probably like three seats over from you when Devendorf hit the shot because I was just like, holy crap, I think that's going to count. And then I watched it. I was like, nah, I don't think it's going to count. And then I'm getting booted out of Madison Square Garden up in the rafters. They're like, it's 3.45 in the morning. You guys got to go. I'm like, I'm still on the air. I'm still on the air. It was insane. I remember going in the locker rooms afterwards and Johnny Flynn looked like, you know, a rag doll. He was just exhausted. And I remember thinking like, how the hell are they going to play tomorrow? That was the part like nobody remembers. And then like, they right? play in overtime the next day. Exactly. It was ridiculous. Exactly. And I, I remember 
the other funny part was, so I go home at like, I think I get back to the hotel, like I said, four o'clock in the morning. For whatever reason, my dad calls me at like nine in the morning. Hey, were you there? I'm like, oh my God. It's like five hours later. Dude. I Thank God it was a semifinal the next day. If we had to be there again at noon, I think I would have died. I mean, it, it was just, there were so many crazy moments in that game. Like I remember people just standing up. No, every while, like, nobody sat down, right? Like the whole arena, like, nobody wanted to, it to end. And then talking to people, you know, um, talking like the, you know, Leo Routens, like he's listening to it on the phone, like just people are doing crazy stuff trying to write that story. PJ Carlissima was out at the Big Ten tournament covering it, and he was at St. Elmo's. Game ends, and he's sitting at the bar at St. Elmo's, and the game's going on. St. Elmo's closed, but they let him sit there. He's like watching it with the waiters. He's like sitting at the bar at St. Elmo's because nobody wanted to go home. Just crazy stuff like that. That whole that game was just bananas, absolutely bananas. The final Big East tournament. I don't know if you felt this way. When I was there, it felt like a funeral. That, like, Syracuse-Georgetown game. Yeah. I went to D.C. the week before. Syracuse got their ass whooped. I remember they scored, like, 35 points. It was, like, the most <laughs> miserable game. I had to get on a train. I had to do radio afterwards. I was like, well, why did I do this? Got paid back for going the following week at the Big East tournament. But that, like, week going into it, I don't know if it was the Syracuse vibe of it or at the time it was UConn not being there. But when you covered that final Big East tournament, did you get that sense? Like, holy moly, this yeah. feels like a funeral. It did. And you know what? Because, like, look, you knew it was just never going to be like that again. Like, I mean, look, I've been to a lot. I've been to the Big Ten tournament, the ACC tournament. I don't care what anybody says. The Big East tournament in New York when it was the Big East tournament. I'm not trying to discredit what it is now because they've done an amazing job to recreate it. But it's not the same. There was nothing like that Saturday night in New York for the Big East Tournament Final. There's nothing was. Like, there just wasn't. And I remember just being like, I can't believe that this freaking can't survive. Like, that was my thing in my head. Like, I get what's going on. I'm not stupid. I know what conference realignment's all about. I understand the pull of football, the money. I get it. But are you freaking kidding me? Like, this thing can't survive? It was just, yeah, it was disappointing. And it was just kind of like, and I remember the next year, I was like, I, I don't want to cover it. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go like right away. I needed time. Like I needed time to mourn what was before I could go back to what is. You know what I mean? I was just like, mm, now let me go somewhere else this year. I just was just, I don't know. It, it's it's still hard to wrap your head around considering like how strong the bonds were when they formed in 1979 and the risks that they were all willing to take. Then it just crumbled. It's just. It's just, I think it's still disappointing. It really still bumps me out to this day. And the ACC is great. It's a great league. Yeah, the is. games are fun. I hate Virginia now. I mean, I'll never hate a program like I hate Georgetown, but Virginia has kind of rekindled that sort of passion and fire out of me because they're really good. And they, you know, played some epic games with Syracuse, but it's, it's not the same. Like, you know, it's just to be able to try to recreate that is impossible. So for you, who was the person in writing this book? That, like, when you were getting stories, when you were getting anecdotes, that, like, still has you, like, gushing. That still, like, that gave you the most. And I know many people did, but if there's yeah. one that stood out above the rest, is there a particular person? Well, I mean, so a couple of things. Like, one thing, like, I started to do this, like, right before the pandemic hit. So, you know, I was trying to, like, hope my plan was to go around the country and sit down and talk to everybody. And then everything got shut down. So I got... I'm I'm so grateful that before that happened, I spent four hours at St. John's with Luke Parnaseca. So like, you know, he's 95 years old and sharp as a tack. And just to have, can you 
I mean, you just can't do Louis on Zoom. You just can't, no, you know? I get that. You got to be with, with Louis. So he was one just to like hear him, to sit there and listen to him and tell the stories because, you know, he goes back to like being a kid watching games at the garden. So that one was just, you know, four hours of Louis telling funny stories about losing his hearing aids in meetings and, you know, cursing and screaming. Like that one was one. Same thing. I went, you know, I went to see my Trangisi. I had to see my Trangisi. Um, but you know what? Like, I'm trying to, like, I mean, Louis definitely was the one. And I was really grateful I talked to Big John before he passed because you can't, you can't write a Big East tournament. You can't write a Big East book without talking to John Thompson, right? Like, and John's just John. Like, the way he tells the story, like, I just, I, I even when I'm reading his quotes, like, I read him in his voice. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's no voice like John Thompson's voice. So, those two definitely were at the top, but you know, like, it's funny. Like I talked to the dude that there was a dome ranger, right? Like the dome ranger tells great stories. Like it's not somebody who's like people think about as like an integral part of the big East, but that's how it is. Like bit players who are in that league have so many stories to tell. Um, I don't know. I just, I feel like I could have talked to a million more people and not, and that was my biggest fear. I was like, okay, I have to be done with this thing. I'm pretty sure I forgot stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, well, I got to wrap it up at some point. So that's close enough. But I'm sure I missed stuff. Final one. If you had to put together, and I know these get lame and crazy and a little stupid at times, but since you're around it, and this is your baby in many ways, of Big East, Mount Rushmore, not even of coaches, but of presences. You had to yeah. put four people on that list. Who would they be? Well, I think the first, I mean, Patrick Ewing has to be on there because Listening to Dave Gavitt, look, the Big East doesn't even move to New York unless Patrick Ewing, I mean, maybe it does eventually, but as soon as Patrick signed with Georgetown, they decided they were good enough to take their tournament to New York. So I don't think there is a single player who was more instrumental and more important to the Big East than Patrick Ewing. Again, like Dave Gavitt's got to be on there because he's the founder, right? I mean, that's an obvious one. Man, man, after that, it gets tough. Like, you, you know, like, it's got to be a Syracuse somebody because Syracuse was so integral. But is it is it Coach Beheim? Or is it Pearl? Is it, is it Pearl? That That's the one. Like, right? Like, because Pearl, Pearl filled the dome. Like, Pearl made the dome a thing. Like, Pearl came in as the dome was becoming a thing. Like, and I'm not saying they don't fill the dome, but that was, again, a perfect marriage. Like, if, if Pearl and his ability doesn't come in, like, eventually they fill the dome. But he made that place ridiculous. So... I'm not sure if it's, I think it might be, has to be Pearl. And the fourth one, I got to think a little bit. I mean, Mike Trangisi was huge because he carried the torch after Gavitt retired through a lot of chaos. But, you know, like, you know, I look at somebody like Bill Raftery. Like, look, Raft was a coach in the league at the very beginning, and then he became the voice of it, and he's like a custodian of it, if you will. Like, he's a custodian of the league in that he lived so much of it. And, you know, like, nobody tells the story like Raft tells the story, right? And every single one of those big moments, he was there. They, exactly. I missed them so much doing the games, Dana, when it was he, oh, McDonough, man. and Billis. And he's doing great. Billis is doing great. But, like, those three doing the games on Monday yep. night, it was just something special about that. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, and like I said, like, he, he started out as a coach at Seton Hall. Everybody forgets that part, right? And then he sees it through to a current day at some level. So that's why I feel like he's, he's got to get up there. Congratulations on the book. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, is there a, a carrier dome trip in the 2021-2022 uh, agenda? I hope so. 100%. I'm just trying to figure out when. But yes, absolutely. Of course. We need to get up there. Talk to Coach Beheim has graciously agreed to let, let me do like a Q&A and 
sign some books and stuff like that. So I'm definitely going to get up there for a nice. game. And, and I would say if you're going to get up there, you might, you might want to go within the next like two or three weeks, because otherwise you got to bring like the parka and like the <laughs> hand warmers. It's uh from the end of November until April. You don't, you don't see much of the grass up there. I know it's, my, my husband's from Syracuse. So, you know, I, oh, I you know the I've deal been, then. You I've know the deal. In Syracuse. I know what I'm up against. Absolutely. Dana, congratulations. <laughs> the Big East inside the most, entertaining and influential conference in college basketball. Congratulations. Continued success. Thanks. Thanks for having me too. So now I'm ready for college basketball season. Getting nostalgic about the old Big East, Syracuse tonight. Really, really good spirits. You know what's not going to put me in good spirits? Having to watch the Dolphins on Thursday night. I kind of have a feeling where Jeff Money's going to go. I kind of have a feeling where most of you are going to go with this particular game. But let's see if my feeling and the actual thought of Jeff Money is on the same wavelength. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. This is going to be for Week 10, the Thursday night game between the Ravens and the Dolphins on November 11th. Now, it's a tough game. I'm not going to put it as part of my contest plays, but you know what? I'm going to go against the Ravens again. I'm going to go with your Miami Dolphins plus the seven and a half at home. That half a point, I think, can help out a lot. Maybe they'll get like a backdoor cover and, uh, you know, the Ravens, maybe they'll play up to the par like they did against the uh, Minnesota Vikings there. So we'll see. The Dolphins can hold their own. Uh, I know two is not playing, but so what? So, again, I'm going to take go with the Miami Dolphins. Again, that's part of my contest plays. Won't be part of it. And it's going to be plus the uh, seven and a half over the Dolphins. All right, J.J. I mean, going with the Dolphins. All right, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go. How about that, Jeff? Money taking the Miami Dolphins, getting seven and a hook. Historically speaking, the Dolphins have gotten owned by the Baltimore Ravens. But there's a trend that I've noticed in the NFL the last two weeks. The big favorite on the road laying points has been very problematic. I'm going to take the Dolphins to cover this number. I don't think they're going to win the game. First of all, I think I'm going to have to sit through another Jacoby Brissett disaster, which I'm not looking forward to because... Two is throwing, he's practicing. They don't think he's 100% right. If they didn't play him on Sunday, why are they going to play him on Thursday? Because now they can give him basically a week and a half to recover and get him right for the Jet game. I do not think you'll see Tua. I think it's going to be Brissett. I think I'm going to be miserable watching the entire game. But I think it has like 31-24, written all over it. Baltimore has played down to their competition. Remember, Baltimore almost lost to the Detroit Lions early this year. This is not a vintage Lion de- uh, and a Raven defense. I think the Dolphins will put up points in this game. I think Lamar ultimately will pull it out in the fourth quarter. But I'm going to scoop the seven and a half and go contrarian with the Finns. And I gave this out as the same game parlay. Dolphins to cover, Waddle over receptions, Gesicki to score, and take Lamar Jackson, throw that in over rushing yards. That is one hell of a same-game parlay. Do that on FanDuel Sportsbook, and thank me later. Enjoy all the college basketball tonight. I'll be dialed in. And and if you want to play on the college basketball tonight, it's so early. You really have no feel for any of these teams. I am going to throw probably a beak or two down. I'm probably going to take Michigan State plus the points because you go contrarian. With the public pound in Kansas, I'm going to go the other way. And then the Duke-Kentucky game which is going to be a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to watching that tonight. I'm seeing that line now at three. I know it's super public. I'm going to be on Duke. I'll take Duke 
and I'll take Michigan State in the Champions Classic. And no, I'll pass on playing the 25 and a half with Syracuse tonight. I'll pass. I'll be able to bet Syracuse in a couple of weeks down in Atlantis. That's going to be great. I have Atlantis with the Thanksgiving games. I already told people, I'm not going anywhere Thanksgiving. Like, we usually do dessert at like a family member's. No, no, no. They come to us or I'm not going anywhere. I want to watch that Syracuse game. So that's the life we have chosen. Great job, fellas. Enjoy your Tuesday, everybody. We're back Thursday. I'll probably be in a real miserable mood after the Dolphin game. But Joe B, Art, Katz, all that good stuff. JJ out. Be good, everybody. <laughs>